Welcome to this episode of the Founder Tech Decoded podcast. I'm in, delighted on this episode to be talking to Sam Marchant, who is an investment associate at Hambro Perks. Hambro Perks are a multi-stage asset manager with multiple funds and quite unique in that way that they can go from very early stage, uh, say £150,000 to £250,000 check, all the way up to series A, B, C, D, I believe, and beyond. Um uh, if there is a beyond series D, I'm not sure there is. Um, Sam's also been an investment associate at Ascension, um, and I know he focused on investments around social inequality, um, which is super interesting. And then before that, he was a founder himself of a low sugar cereal bar. Cereal bar. So he has sat in the uh, founder's seat, and I believe that informs a lot of his perspective. So Sam, um, really, really love it to have you on the podcast lots of people have mentioned you by the way in previous episodes so uh, no pressure but it's great to have you here oh that's uh well i don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing but no dan thank you very much for for having me on i i really appreciate it and uh, yeah having listened to some of the other episodes and some of the guests um yeah it's uh, it's a great show so i appreciate it thank you very much i'll take that um so let's let's just kind of set the scene i'm trying in this series six to kind of build on previous episodes so we kind of got a lot of themes one thing that comes up and i think your perspective with hamburg folks would be super interesting in this is this kind of idea of um in the early stages achieving more with less so looking for founders that can demonstrate not just capacity but efficiency with less capital and that those founders now have uh, almost an elevated status when being considered how does that mirror with what you're finding yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a very interesting um, change in terms of founder dynamic and uh, level of validation, traction, development that I'm seeing founders come out now, especially at the, the pre-seed and the seed stage. Um, and I think that's indicative of a, a couple of things. I think firstly, it's um, the best founders have been holding off coming to market for a long, long time. And the reason for that is that they they don't want to have to deal with long, you know, long hours speaking to VCs, uh, multiple different conversations, the backwards and forwards, the you know the the, the bad valuations, the the difficult process. They just don't want to do it, right? So so the focus has been on on building. And I think there's a tailwind that's been created, and this is my second point. There's a tailwind in terms of you know. Uh, no-code tools, generative AI tools that basically can help you um, not less so build a, you know, a, a truly kind of proprietary piece of technology that you then go on to sell, but more all of the business operations around that. So, you know, once you've created your product, how can you actually go and find customers? How can you engage with those customers? You know, you're going from hiring five BDRs to one BDR and they have a really powerful gen AI tool. So it's definitely, it's definitely changed. Um, and I think the, the last thing is that I think most founders realize that the, the, the bar has moved, you know, a lot of investors were stung and have been stung by the, um, the startups that raised huge amounts of capital for ideas and dreams in 2021. And now investors are, you know, somewhat tail between the legs, you know, going back out to the market and saying, okay, we need more from our founders before we, uh, before we actually invest, we need more data, we need more validation um, in order to progress. So I think those kind of two or maybe even three things there have, have definitely changed the landscape. Um, and it's not just 
like pre-seed stage founders. You know, I met a founder recently, incredible founder. She's she bootstrapped all the way up to 470k of ARR. Um, when I was going through the model with her, I I, I always discount models really <laughs> pre-seed and seed because I think, well, okay, I, I just want to test the assumptions. Sure. And one of the assumptions that blew me away was. You know, she was assuming that she could get to, or she was forecasting, sorry, that she could get to over 4 million of ARR with 12 people. Now, I was like, that's a, an incredible sales efficiency. I was like, this is this is insane. This is great. And I said to her, how can you actually do that? I, I, I'm, to be perfectly honest, I don't believe you can. And she said, well, look, here are all the tools in our um, in our arsenal that we're using right now to, to build and scale this business. Um, most of them are, are generative AI or even AI-based tools. We've automated most of our workflows. Um, I'm able to focus on really kind of mission critical areas of this business. Um, and also, I don't want to be hiring a massive team and managing it. So I want to keep it lean. So, yeah, it's definitely a changing dynamic. And, you know, that that conversation led me to kind of think, OK, well, startups are able to do more with less. Um, and actually, the tools that are being built now, a large part of the way these tools are being sold is it's not it's not cost saving it's actually value creation and there's a very different kind of narrative there so yeah it's certainly an interesting time but i'm seeing the 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 caliber of startups that i'm seeing at pre-seed and seed but in terms of the the level of um the level of traction that they have is is far superior to what it was in you know 21 and 22 so let's let's just focus on that founder without naming names right because Mm -hmm. i think and that that founder is the archetype of the future, right? So that founder mm. who is basically saying they're leveraging founder tech to create these efficiencies, this ability to execute and operate, you know, we've heard that it's, it, it, it's likely that there will be a founder like that that reaches a billion, let's just say dollars, you know, with a very, very small fractional fractional team. What this... And let's just say that that founder may have those skills themselves to organize themselves in that way. There's been talk of, you know, maybe they'll engage a chief founder tech officer to give them the tool suite or or that'll just become so intuitive. Um, If that's the case, I've got two questions for you. Like, (laughs) what does, how do you then, let's say that that that, that founder becomes the norm and in two, three years time, there's just lots of them floating about. How yeah. is there not then a new signal to noise problem because there are it's, it's harder to then differentiate right or, or, or everyone's kind of performing at that kind of enhanced level and there's this new yeah. benchmark and two how do you think a fund would sell that founder and those investments to their LPs going this is the future we have to be backing these type of founders in this way in order to get ahead of that trend? Well, two <laughs> two big questions. So, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I I mean, I think on the first point, I think that, look, this very much will will become the norm, right? Um, and it's something that I can speak openly about. You know, from a Hamburg Perks perspective, it's something that as soon as um, I mean, GPTs being released and you know, very open, yeah. you, know, you know, kind of custom GPTs being released was a, a real catalyst for us to say, okay, we need to take um, take the conversation that we've been having with our portfolio founders. Uh, seriously, you know that this and this conversation was, you know, if you could have a uh, an employee that was twenty four seven, never stopped, high degree of accuracy, um, and you know, very rarely made mistakes, you know, which area of the business would you put them in? And and the portfolio founders came back with a wide range of different use cases for this hypothetical individual, and we said, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll start building a GPT toolkit that you can use, 
Um, that's something that's kind of you know in the works right now, and is you know something that we think will, will ultimately give them a competitive advantage. But it's also allowed us to see you know what is actually possible, so that when we're meeting teams and they say, yeah, pre-seed, we want to allocate I don't know twenty percent of our of our investment round or our investment capital towards a you know, marketing team, you say, well, why would you do that? You know, for 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 twenty dollars a month, you can do all of this, and and we've proven it. And we're and <laughs> really we're not even founders, you know. So um, yeah, I, I I definitely see it in that sense. In, in terms of selling it to LPs, well, I think the model just changes. I think what we're going to do is we're going to see um, startups that scale far more efficiently, far quicker, uh, with narrower um, customer base, customer segments. Um, and that those companies are actually not are unlikely to get to the scale of a billion pounds, which means that we need to redefine what success looks looks like for us as as asset, as asset managers. You know, is it that we start investing in more companies and we say, okay, actually, an outcome of two hundred to three hundred million is is excellent for us here potentially, um, or do we say no? We're still in a power law driven asset class where you know we have to invest in companies that could deliver and return um, these billion pound exits. I, I can't really comment on which I, I don't have a solid answer really I guess for, for, for that question um, I think that will we'll see how that evolves as, as founders you know progress and develop I think it will force many funds to rethink their entire model um, as to okay well if you've got exceptional individuals that are coming out with these tools um, and this this kind of you know maybe even a proprietary knowledge to a, a vertical or a sector or a geography you know how does a fund actually fit in with that as well you know it will it'll, it'll go from being okay i need money and you have money but not much else to you know i you have money but i need this you know i want you to help me with you know distribution from a media perspective you know you've seen that with um harry stebbings right and, and everything that 20 vc and yeah. what he's built there you know, I, I think that there will be a, a, a much greater need for um, VC funds to have a more developed product suite themselves. You know, whether that's a toolkit, whether that's a media platform, you know, that will be an absolute kind of um, ground zero and a must have. Um, and that will be the, the new bar. Um, you know, I, obviously, I could be completely wrong. But at the moment, it that's what I'm seeing, you know. Uh, exceptional founders, you know, and, and, they, and I'm talking about first time founders as well here, right? Cool. So yeah. first time founders that are coming out with tools. Uh, if, if you look at kind of two or three time exited founders that are coming back out, you know, they, they go, oh, you know, we had a, a hell of a ride with our VCs last time. Do we really want to approach them again? And also they then go, well, look, we've got all of these tools, you know, what's the point? And, and you have to ask yourselves and reflect on it, um, you know, from this side of the table as an investor and say, okay, well, what value are we actually bringing? Um, and that's, that's quite a hard question to ask. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, let's just pull on that a little bit further. So let's, let, let, I'm trying to imagine the graph of this, that actually what I think it's doing is, is, ex, is extending the runway where less capital is needed to demonstrate the viability of a, a vertical and demonstrate the capacity of that founder to be able to act on and I guess exploit or you know unlock the capacity of or, or the potential demonstrate the potential of that vertical. So you almost got like a flatter line at the beginning, and then you've got uh, where capital then becomes larger scale capital becomes really valuable is when you suddenly realise inside that vertical is a huge new problem set or, or opportunity yeah. and and then the ability to uh, which which with which then 
probably there needs the traditional skills, uh, skills, excuse me, of a, of of a really good VC like Hamburg Perks, where you can suddenly come in, bring in a network of skills and value add around it, and scale that problem set really quickly or as quickly as yeah. it needs to. And yeah. the difference there is, you probably in that scenario got more defensibility by spending longer, you know, doing more for less in that sort of like flatter runway, you've probably in that built a lot more robustness and de-risk the proposition so that when that capital is applied to scale, it, there's there's a, there's more value in it in a way. I mean, this is all kind of new modeling, but, but, but it's quite interesting, right, to think of it like that. Yeah, yeah, to- no, totally. And I agree. I agree. It's very new. And, you know, we're, we're talking very abstract here and, and um, big blue sky thinking. But no, I, I completely agree in that respect. And I think what's interesting now is we go, okay, uh, founders have longer they're, or they're able to do more with the runway that they have. So they have more data, they have more validation, which means that actually from, from a kind of capital allocation perspective, when we're coming in a, you know, late seed or a series A or even a series B, um, that's when we expect the growth to really be turned on, right? So that's when yeah. we're saying, okay, you've yeah. tested, rather than testing 20 marketing strategies, you know, you're able to test 200 strategies. And we know down to a T that this is the one that we want to put capital behind. So, and that's arguably why some of the deals, you know, or some of the investment opportunities that kind of series A, series B stage right now are are even more competitive than they ever have been. You know, it, it's, it's, it is a, a really hyper competitive market out there right now, both for, for founders in terms of trying to find capital at those very early stages, but then also as an investor, you know, finding a company with when you found that company with incredible metrics, you know, you know that there's going to be another six or seven kind of tier one people talking to them. And that, and that means that it's it's difficult and you have to be able to you know defend your or fight your corner for the value that you bring. So. No, it, it will definitely, I can see how it definitely evolves in that manner. Um, but then there will be other other schools of thought who say, no, you know, people will always desire to have capital, um, to have teams, to have geographies. Um, we don't know, you know, the cost at which these, these um, you know, particularly generative AR, AI tools, you know, will, will actually, uh, whether the cost will stay the same or whether they'll become more and more expensive and actually, you know, you'll start paying uh, open AIs if you had uh, two yeah. or three or yeah. four team members, you know, who knows? And then and then everything we're saying here, Dan, <laughs> goes out the window, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to evolve. Um, but I think it's an exciting time. And I think watching founders do more with less, has shown uh, me in particular that, you know, we have to have a truly competitive edge in this market and we have to really be able to say to founders, you know, this is exactly what Hamburg Perks and as a team, this is what we can do for you. And here's the, da- the data and the validation um, that we've been able to do that in the past. So I want you to apply your um, ex-founder hat on here. And I think it was what's encouraging as well in this conversation that a lot there are a lot of exited founders, ex-founders, solo capitalists kind of who aren't baggaged by the past, who who, who want to go with this kind of new wave and explore it and and see where it lands. You know, um with that hat on, which I'm I'm, I'm sure you wear when you when you talk to founders, when they when you're talking to a founder that's still sort of like I was going to say inoculated, but that doesn't sound like the right word. But, <laughs> but like, but it still has the old model in their head. As a lot of founders yeah. do, and 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 that's not their fault because founders for many many years were taught that is the only there's only one route to success, right? And 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 that's yeah. what, right, and 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 that involves having a large team, you know, spending loads yeah. of money on dev, you know, like loads, and, and gradually what well, that is being reconfigured. 
What do you say to that founder that is like a domain expert, really knows their stuff, you know, develop a reputation, prototype, and like just to reconfigure their expectations around this first stage. So if they're starting to talk in that hyperbolic language, oh, we're going to, you know, achieve this multiple and I'm going to hire this many people. How do you start to dial that conversation back? Because it's in the interest actually of both of you to sort of slightly recalibrate that uh, early on. Yeah, it's a great question because, again, I I take a further step back here existentially and I go, okay, well, is it really my duty or my role to tell a founder who's pitching, you know, how they should run their business and and how they should do it? Um, You know, we have one version of how startups could be run, could be built, could be developed. Um, You know, we believe that, yeah, leveraging Gen AI tools and tools just generally can help you know, massively improve productivity, sales efficiency, et cetera, et cetera. Um, however, there are industries and there are um, you know types of companies, in particular hardware or deep tech companies, where that's just not possible, right? That is just absolutely not possible. Yeah. So I, I, I think it would be it would be you know if I was in that conversation, it would be unfair and unwise of me to advise that founder that okay, well, actually no, we want to see you run the business in this model. Um, the other reason that I think that that's a, a stupid thing to do is that if I'm investing in a founder that I know more about their area than them, or I'm better at running the business than them, then there's, there's something's gone horribly wrong. <laughs> you know, we, we want to back exceptional individuals and I'm by no means, you know, in that camp from a founder perspective. So, you know, for us, we've noticed that the best founders we've backed are the ones who say, thank you very much. Um, we need X, Y, Z are very clear on what they need, but then that's it. You know, the, the, they're, they're not the people that are kind of consistently coming back and need this and this and this and this. So yeah, it's a, it's a funny question, but for me, I think, you know, if you're backing exceptional individuals and you have a toolkit or a blueprint, uh, blueprint, sorry, then, then great. Um, and founders should be made aware of that. But on the most part, exceptional founders and talented individuals know exactly what they need to do and why. Um, you know, if they say that I need a big team because of X, Y, Z, there's always a reason behind it. I'm just going to, ch- I'm going to challenge that ever so slightly, just because mm-hmm. what we're talking about is like, is quite abstract, but it is, yeah. it does feel like it, where it's coalescing. So do you have like a responsibility to, because as a founder, I'm not talking about their vision for the business. Let's just put that for one side or their competency mm. around that, right? Of course, they mm. should bring all of those things to the table. But if, if, if let's imagine there is this new graph with a longer, flatter runway at the beginning and inside there's a whole deal, a whole, a whole amount of like really interesting, complex thinking that could benefit them that they might yeah. not have even thought of, right? They might come to the table. They may not be technically proficient in, in, in certain aspects of what we're talking about or in HR or any, and they just come with a set of assumptions. Let's call it mm. like minimum viable assumptions, the term has come out alongside minimum mm. viable products. Like, so they come to you and they have, and you actually can see in those, minimum and viable assumptions there's actually some there's not not around strategy and vision just to, again to, to research yeah, okay. but more like like how they are approaching the next 18 months could be is is it the role I mean, please feel free to push back on it but is it the role now of a yeah. vc to help that founder with that initial run which is start thinking differently so that they liberate themselves really so not burdening themselves with things that might have been you know standard two three four five years ago actually there's a new way of doing this do you see that as May, even if it's not now, but let's say by the end of next year, that actually becomes part of the role in helping founders that haven't appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, I think so. So giving it context, I'm looking at this question as if I've met a founder, you know, we haven't invested them, right? So it's a founder yeah. that I've reached out to, you know, I've heard the pitch a couple of times. 
and maybe we get into the model and all of a sudden it's okay well why do you need 20 devs that doesn't really make sense um in that moment if that founder turned around to me and said well look you know it's because we're building deep tech or we're building in this um we're building in a certain vertical or a certain product that requires it you know obviously we go away and do our dd and then we come back and say okay that makes sense or that doesn't make sense um, I think that it will become the norm, you know, as we've kind of already alluded to, um, and, and, and as other guests have said on the show, Dan, you know, it will become the norm that a large part of kind of startup function, whether that be you know, HR, sales, marketing, will be largely tool-based and, and automated, right? That will be the case, yeah. uh, which will free free founders up for more open thinking, product thinking, um, and, and that will become far more far more creative than ever before um and i think we should encourage founders to do that but i think you know in the case of there being kind of consumer or consumer product hardware deep tech you know which are unfortunately in the current kind of fundraising landscape are 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 outliers in the total amount of capital that's invested or the the total number of deals done um but you know you have to understand that there are always found that there are always founders who know more than you um about an opportunity that's that's kind of come up so yeah, I, I think from a VC perspective, you know, we will challenge our founders on, okay, should you, uh, should you be, could you be using these tools? Would this speed up this process in, in XYZ, XYZ area? Um, but at the most part, we found that the founders that we've backed are the ones who kind of already ahead of the game on, on that. And um, they know exactly what they need to be doing. And, you know, it's, it's once you've made the investment, I think it's wrong of an investor to sit there and make a founder justify every pound or penny that's spent. You know? And I know that's not, I know that's not what you're implying, but I'm, I'm taking no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I definitely think these, these, these things are still so fresh. It's important to clarify the nuance mm. in them. I mean, we view those um, founders, we call them propellers, right? They're someone almost like yeah. able to move across a boundary, across a threshold into a new territory, kind of hang yeah. them anchor themselves in that territory, deal with the uncertainty. And I think the great thing that all the good investors appreciate is that when it's about helping that person and then the tools just kind of do their thing, you know, and and, learn freedom, that's what everybody wants to actually, you know, the good faith investors want to be doing that. They want to be helping those people achieve them and achieve their vision. And that, I think the most optimistic version of this is that it frees that good faith conversation because the, the yeah, stuff needs sure. to get in the way, like around valuation, even like, you know, like where mm. legal tech tools have kind of bounced that, you know, further, like the, it doesn't get in the way anymore early on, you know, or mm. modeling or HR tools or sales tools, or as you said, marketing tools, all of this stuff that is entering mm. and, and only getting better frees up the actual conversation around talent, the problem, why it's being solved, What's the value of it being solved, not just economically, but to society? Like, if, sure. you, if that's your metric. And I think that's where it starts to get really exciting, where it's it's economically yeah. in everyone's incentives. Uh, it's, it, everyone's aligned and has the same incentives by being freed in this way. That, that's, why yeah. that's what's come up a few times. It's like it becomes basically super, like hyper-economically rational to behave in this way. And once that happens, yeah. the whole market then moves because obviously it follows it follows that rationality and capital wants to behave in that way. So that's yeah. what I was trying to get to is that it's, 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 it's elevating that founder to be able to do more of that and giving that founder more status and more capability and more agency. That's that, I think that's what I was trying to drive at. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I, and, I, and I totally see that. I mean, I think, you know, when, when you look at most of the CEOs, you know, from a pre-seed up to maybe even a Series A, Series B perspective, um, what you'll find is that a large part of them, they, they are generalists, right? Um, you know, they have a wide range of different skills, but actually their overall skill is it, it should be um, a, enabling other individuals to believe in their vision, getting them to buy into that vision and getting the best out of those individuals. And I think we'll get to a point where teams will be assembled and you'll have your, I don't know, head of marketing or CMO, your, you know, your head of sales, head of product. And those individuals will come forward and they'll say, hey, um, we really love, you know, you've got to sell to them as a founder and you'll, you'll sell to them and say, hey, I've got this idea. This is where I feel there's an opportunity. They'll say, hey, we're going to jump on board. We're bringing these tools with us. Right. And, and, and that's how we, we want to operate. That's how we want to build. And it will be the role of the founder, less so uh, potentially going through the hiring conversations and trying to find new talent. Um, but it will be more about, OK, how do I keep uh, existing talent incentivized, engaged? How can I, um, you know, better equip them so that they can go away and, and, and actually build this build this business further? So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely a changing time, right? And I, I'm noticing now even more just from the conversations portfolio founders are having with new hires, you know, the emphasis on, okay, well, what tools do you want to use? You know, wh- how are you thinking about things? Um, I heard a story recently of a, of someone in an interview um, pulling out, literally pulling up. They, they weren't told that they couldn't use ChatGPT or couldn't use, you know, right. any Gen AI tool. Um, you know, and this individual to, to try and calculate something and build out a plan just pulled up ChatGPT. And, you know, and, and the founder, the, the founder was so taken back by the fact that actually the individual had the foresight to just get it done quickly, accurately, and kind of come back and, and operate in this kind of very startup focused, you know, lean, aggressive, quick manner, that that's what you want, right? That ultimately, that's what you want. You don't want an individual trying to prove um, or play kind of credence to their own ego. You just want them to execute and do it, do it fast and do it well. So yeah, I, I thought that was a great example of uh, someone who, you know, that was there and understands these tools and the value that they can bring. Yeah. Have you got, just as we start to wrap up, have you got any other examples mm. of a good sort of founder tech that you like or have seen that isn't sort of, you know, GPT, AI driven, just some other, other, other things that are on your radar that you see founders using? It's a good question. Um, I think I've noticed more of our, more of the founders I meet um, have, finance operations quite heavily automated now there are some really interesting tools um that have been built for not only and i'm talking about everything from you know reconciling um you know invoices and payments and transactions to to then actually being able to present your underlying b2b SaaS data right like how is this company actually performing um some of the pitches i'm starting to have have been more data driven than ever before. So, you know, I've got founders who, you know, they, they we're not talking about burn multiples or anything like that, but they're, they're saying, okay, this is what my sales efficiency is going to look like. Um, this is what my, you know, my, my LTV cap, my landed and, and kind of collected LTV is X, Y, Z, you know, that it's becoming far more data driven. And these tools, these underlying tools are enabling founders to do that. So it's giving much better oversight um, and founders are able to spend in a much better way. Um, I think I've noticed more tools for personalized outreach than ever before. 
um, you know, so founders actually being able to craft the messages that they send to either investors or uh, potential customers. And that that's definitely kind of um, that's definitely improving the conversion rate. Um, And then lastly, I think just generally, you know, um, seeing some really good, uh, really good tools that are are being used for breaking down the kind of communication and the intelligence silos that exist in startups or just companies generally, right? Um, you know, it can be super scatty and, and super, um, super sporadic in terms of where where knowledge and expertise is actually stored. Um, and I mean that in every sense of the word, right? You know, an individual who has a unique uh, experience or uh, or background in a certain vertical as well as, um, you know, customer communications where a customer really opens up as to the top features that they really want to see on a product. So it's, you know, it's it's all of these things kind of weighing in on one. Um, I'm starting yeah. to see founders better equip themselves there. Um, and then the last thing I would say is that it's becoming very, very hard now to spot Figma and like bubble-based <laughs> uh, MVPs. The MVP, the quality of some of the MVPs in B2B SaaS tools that I'm seeing is is really, really impressive. And actually people are getting to pretty pretty sizable, you know, ARRs. I'm talking, you know, over 500K plus on very, very low, uh, kind of low level, um, you know, no code developed MVPs. And they're kind of really validating the commercial opportunity that they've got in front of them. Um, I think for, for those founders, my question is always, okay, if you don't need to raise capital to hire exceptional tech talent, are you hiring for distribution and marketing? And if that's the case, you know, I'm not sure VC capital is for you. So, but maybe that's a, a cl- closing remark that people yeah, can debate no, on. <laughs> it's a, no, that's no, super interesting. I think mean, that's like a crash course in like from your, you know, from your perspective in the seat you're sitting. I think it's great um, and really, really, really relevant. Uh, just as we as we close, people listening mm. to this, um, is if if there's anything you'd like to sort of like you know promote, anything that's going on with with, with HP at the moment that you're like you know want to make people aware of, or, or also obviously how they can contact you. What's the best way of doing that? What you look for? What I don't think we particularly talked about the sectors that you particularly look to invest sure. in. Can we just kind of clarify and wrap up with, with that? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, well, so, you know, at the start, Danny, you, you obviously introduced us as, you know, as a, as a multi-stage asset management firm. That's that's exactly what Hambro Perks is. Um, you know, we have funds from the very early kind of 150K, 200K EIS all the way up to our environmentally or environmental technologies focused growth funds um, that are deploying, you know, um, tens of millions of pounds into, you know, uh, very CapEx heavy hardware um, related environmental technology companies. So, and we do everything in between. We know we have an amazing venture debt team. Um, we have an amazing secondaries team, uh, not to mention the kind of early stage team that, that I sit on. So we really kind of cover a full range of, of different um you know, investment products, and then also, you know, a wide range of different companies as well. You know, speaking from the early stage investment team perspective, so, you know, we're the ones writing the checks from pre-seed up to series A. Um, there are four verticals that we're really keen on right now. So um, digital health, fintech, insurtech, uh, sustainability, and then what we call kind of future of work and productivity. I'd say it's the, the latter you know, of those of those four, the, or the fourth vertical there, that's we've really seen a big explosion in, especially this year. Um, and yeah, I mean, if, if any founders who you know listen to this are, are are raising and think that you know HP might be a good fit for them, um, then I'd love to yeah, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me either on on LinkedIn or um, 
LinkedIn is probably the best actually, or or through through the kind of Hamburg Perks website. Um, you know, we, we check it and we're we're very active on it. So um, but yeah, I'd love to love to have a conversation with uh, with any founders who kind of fit in those in those buckets. Great, and we'll put those details in the show notes. Well, Sam, thanks so much for giving us like you know a really interesting perspective from the seat that you sit in. You know, the the disciplines that you cross, the experience that you had. Um, you know, it's just great to see like founder techs basically get a seat at the table. What that then yeah. turns into is uh, it's still <laughs> it's still up for grabs. Um, for and sure. uh, hopefully, someone listening to this might model that graph out. I don't think it's particularly complicated. But if anyone wants to, we'll stick, <laughs> that, we'll stick that in the comments on the LinkedIn blog so everyone can see it. Uh, but seriously, um, uh, it's been really really great having you on the podcast. And thank you for your time. No, Dan, thank you very much. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. Pleasure. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded.